Hi everyone, welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Heather Hartnett, who is the founding partner and CEO of Human Ventures. Heather has created one of New York's premier startup studios and early stage venture funds. Since launching under Heather's leadership, Human Ventures has invested in and co-built more than 50 companies with key investments, including Reserve, which has been acquired, Current, The Skin, Tiny Organics, and Tia Health, who I've had the pleasure of speaking with on a previous podcast. Um, Those companies have grown to combined more than $7.2 billion in enterprise value and have gone on to raise over $500 million in additional capital from notable later stage investors. Hi, Heather. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited. Um, This is the first time we've had the pleasure of having a fund on and like I mentioned I had so much fun chatting with Elise from your team on Instagram live a couple weeks ago if anyone wants to check out that episode it was just like really great insight into um, just like the entrepreneurial aspect of connecting with a fund and like just what happens after investment and yeah. like the journey um, well, I'm, you guys I'm offer so many resources <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm honored to that to be the first fund on this podcast. I I really will hope to speak to the entrepreneur side of things. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm so excited to just kind of learn more about you and how you got into this space and also just like what makes human ventures different than other early stage venture funds. Yeah, well, um I you know I I love the content that you produce, and I think a lot of the topics that you cover are uh, grounds for, you know, for the investment thesis that that we have at Human Ventures and that we look to, um, we look to to thought leaders like yourself and the customers that, you know, your, your listeners are all customers and they're very forward thinking. And that's essentially what we are looking to to be able to invest in. So Human Ventures, like you said, we have two components. We have a startup studio where we build companies with founders from scratch very early on. And then we also have a venture fund, which is looks more like a traditional you know, funding funding platform, um, but we still love to invest very very early in, in categories. So that's a differentiator for Human Ventures. And then the other differentiator is just really the areas that we're excited about. And, you know, we just experienced what we call kind of a human recession, right? That we saw at all all time high of difficulties in health and relationships and connectivity and loneliness. And, uh, you know, and so there's there's this effect that's happening right now in the sustained period that the world just went through. And what's going to come out of that is pretty significant. I think there are a lot of opportunities there's um, cracks that have been exposed in our healthcare system, um, mental health, and you know the employee-employer relationship. Um, all these different, very human topics are being kind of put uh, under the spotlight. And so, humans looking for founders who are building solutions to these big problems, and that's what we invest in. That's so exciting, and I, I mean, I love so many of the businesses that you've invested in, and. So you got in like early on with brands like the Skim and Tiny Organics, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I remember when the Skim kind of first launched and it was just so exciting because before that, you know, I I was never interested in politics or just (laughs) it just seemed boring and they just have a great way of just 
telling you kind of the you know cliff notes of what happened and kind of keeping you up to date and engaging people and empowering people to stay up to date and I think that it's interesting because all of these companies like you like I mentioned earlier have gone on to um, grow in with so just like grow so much and I'm just curious how you started to, like your career in investing and at ventures because it, I know that you started at Lightspeed and City Light and Claremont and then and then went on to start your own fund. So how do you stay connected with the community and how did you go on to meet these founders to invest in them? Yeah. Yeah, no, I I mean I think when we started Human Ventures, um the New York ecosystem looked very different for entrepreneurs. Um there always been you know, entrepreneurship takes many different uh, di different forms, and uh, New York has always been known for uh, people starting businesses and you know many different industries thriving. And this is where customers are. This is where business happens. Um, and the technology industry largely was responsible for the you know the boom of venture capital investing, which is what I do. And that was primarily in Silicon Valley. It was primarily in San Francisco. Yeah. But what started to happen as technology started to permeate through every industry and every company that, um, you know, is selling and doing business right now has to have a technology component to it. New York started to be a really interesting place for those technology companies to, to start forming here instead of just Silicon Valley. And in doing that, it opened up, um, you know, a, a large range of the types of founders that were starting companies. And that's what we saw um, an opportunity, you know, in New York specifically to start a venture fund in these areas because there are very talented founders. There are several um, people who see opportunities in health and wellness and uh, the future of work and media and you know, just like you you said, the skim, Carly and Danielle, when they started the skim, they came from a journalist background and and broadcast. You know, they saw that there was an entire audience that was not being met. Their needs were not being met, and they had a very creative way of of creating a new media company. And those types of insights come from founders, you know, in New York, and and um, and so we started building here with those founders and investing in those companies. And fast forward almost six years later, and New York is now the fastest growing ecosystem for, you know, company building um, in the US. And so I, I think it's an exciting time for all different types of founders in all different areas. And um, some of the more nascent areas of funding right now we're seeing um, have to affect, or, you know, affect the the customer that is, you know, under, has been underserved for a long time. So an example of that, what you said, tiny organics, you know, the conscious consumer, the mom who wants organic food for their babies, you know, I want to say parents, they're both parents, but primarily it's the mom still making that decision of what the babies are eating and they want trusted sources. So, you know, tiny organics has a really unique way of referring that the customers refer the food to each other, like the, the moms, you know, very strong mom network. And um, that's where you get the most trust, right? So you're really building a brand around a community. And when you have that trust, then you're able to continue to build that business. And so that I think really was born out of, it, it has a lot of properties of New York. <laughs> yeah, I love Tiny Organics and my son loves it. Every time we go to the store, he's like, get me one of those, please. Um, I didn't know that about them and how it's like their community 
um, gives them feedback on, you know, flavors and stuff. I think that's great. Speaking of tiny organics, I want to talk about just the wellness industry as a whole. Obviously, you've, you know, invested in that space a lot. So I'm curious what, you know, where you see it standing and if it's like a saturated market now, has it reached its peak? What trends you're seeing across the board? I think we're only getting started. I mean, people say, oh, wellness, if it's saturated, I'm like, well, we're not well, you know, and I, yeah, I exactly. was reading a bit about you know, your, your upbringing and, you know, your understanding of the medicinal properties of saffron, for example, and all of these integrative, you know, kind of things that have been known for humankind for thousands of years. And our society has really um, gone backwards a little bit in terms of nutrition, you know, over the last 50 years. And, and so people, I think, are now starting to realize that there are um, ways of being healthy. Our healthcare is really sick care. You know, you go to healthcare when you already have gone past the point, um, you know, of your ailment. And so, how are we thinking much more about prevention? How are we thinking about wellness in general, in terms of, um, you know, just before things arise? And then also just having a much deeper understanding of what those things are that affect us nutrition, you know, food is medicine, and also regular regular checkups, more, um, more verticalized healthcare, specifically for both populations, you know, different populations, and also for different ailments. And I think technology has helped accelerate that. Yeah, I love that. I completely agree with you. It's not that our, I mean, it's that our people just need to be more educated and empowered to take care of themselves through prevention and learning these different modalities. And like you said, checking doing the um, regular checkups and using products that are more sustainable and better for the environment and in turn for themselves. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious what trends you're seeing and what specifically Human Ventures is focusing on because it sounds like technology, obviously, like you said, has seeped its way into every business and you do need to have that. Um, tech platform like but for example i mean we have our wellness content and stuff like that but we're growing our consumer products at the fullest right but mm -hmm. we have this way mm -hmm. to connect with our audience i'm curious where you what you're moving away from and what you're focusing on because i've spoken to a lot of different funds some that are in focusing on wellness and a lot of them are just saying you know we're specifically focusing on tech right so tia is and it, um, a perfect example of its health, but it's mainly tech as well. Or I would I would yes. say that they can grow in that way a lot. And they have a um, there probably are right now. I don't know, obviously. But yeah, so I'm curious specifically for human ventures, um, especially since you're an early stage fund, right? I think, and I don't know how that works. Are you guys coming in early stage and then continuing to invest further in multiple in different rounds, or do you just stay in the beginning? We um we do we we invest early and then we traditionally will continue to invest as the as the company grows and we want to continue to maintain you know our partnership with that company. Yeah. So I you address a couple of different things here. I think it's really important because there are so many founders and entrepreneurs now. It's easier than ever to start a company and there are more perspectives than ever to start that company. And I always encourage founders 
um, to to do their passion and start their company, but it's harder than ever to win, right? Because now there are so many more products that are coming to market. Uh, it's hard to get shelf space. It's hard to get distribution. So you really have to the the bar has has risen for how you know your company can get uh, discovered and also for how it can get funded. But it's also a most exciting time right now where it, it's you know it's accessible to start businesses in all these different categories. So you're seeing a lot of innovation. Um, so I'll address the the products side versus the tech side. You know, human ventures we have both. We have actually a lot of um, of product companies, and that was born out of you know us doing deep dives into wellness trends and seeing where things are. Um, going and then seeing what the best business model was to be able to capture those trends. And so an example is, you know, knowing that people are eating more healthy and they're turning to plant-based diets, we wanted to really think about what was something in kind of the rebranding of being vegan. You don't have to be vegan in order to eat healthy and, you know, and, and have that type of a lifestyle. We ended up partnering with these incredible founders, Isabel and Alexandra. They have a company called Loopy and they're an alternative-based protein company they use the lupini bean. It's very high protein, very low carbs. And they their hero product is this loopy bar, you know, and then they've also now they're launching a pasta brand and they're 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 launching a bunch of things based on their platform. And um what was interesting to us is that they knew how to build a brand and they knew how to build a community and a following around their brand. So they they have the permission to launch several products in their in their scope and they have a community that loves that. So when you're looking at just a product, it's not just the product, it's actually how's it resonating with a community of customers and then can you create that platform that you can continuously um, you know, sell uh, pe- to, those, to those customers and they love what you're doing. So we, you know, there are ways that you can, you can justify uh, investing in products when you really see uh, a strong distribution channel and you see a way that they're going to be able to reach customers in a unique way. I, I've seen Loopy and I think it's such an interesting um, brand and I love what they're doing actually. So that's really cool that you guys have invested in them. And I completely agree with you. I think that you'd like, you know, like you said, it's so easy to start an online store now with Shopify and with all these different ways that technology has enabled us to start a brand. But I do think that building that community is the key. And I'm curious, you know, one of the questions or when I was asking is, what are you moving away from? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you just get so many brands reaching out to you left and right. So I'm curious how you, um, how you pick and choose, like which ones are you going to have a meeting with, who you're definitely going to weed out. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for context, we saw 2000 companies last year. Wow. (laughs) You know, you specifically um, connected with 2000 companies or you had them reach out to you? We had uh, 2000 companies reached out to or or we, you know, or we met with. Right. And then you a subsection of that you actually meet and then, you know, you have to go through their business. And then, you know, we um, I think we made. 14 investments last year. So you'll see that the <laughs> the hurdle rate is really high. And so it's like college feel, admission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it is, but it's it's also um, you know, really inspiring to see how many companies are popping up in these different areas. And then, 
you know, I think that's one thing that investors can offer founders too, is just a perspective. But when you don't invest, if you have a really thoughtful investor, they should be um, giving them a perspective. Well, this is how you can be thinking about things. And this is why we're not investing or it's not right for us, but it doesn't mean that it's not an investable opportunity. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's never, it's never a signal that you shouldn't be doing this as you're, you know, but it's, it's kind of a numbers game, right? There are just so many com- companies out there. Um, things that we're moving away from, I am, we are not metaverse investors. <laughs> We're not thinking about yeah. the digital side of things as much in that capacity or where the um, virtual world is going. We think that there's a lot of potential uh, and value to be created in the in the real world right now. Um, and, Did you see that you know, Salesforce commercial on the Super Bowl? I don't know if you saw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did see it. Yeah, it's yeah. like exactly that. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is. And it's just, you know, even if you're in the in the metaverse, like you have to be healthy. The health is everything. Health is definitely the new wealth. And so um, we uh, are very excited about specifically um, areas in women's healthcare, right? That's something that gets me going. So to, you know, I have many partners, we, we cross, um, we invest across many different things, but the areas that I'm really interested in are health and wellness, spanning women's health, mental health, you know, um, menopause, all the, all these areas. And then also what we're calling worker well-being, which is, you know, how does the employer think about this too? Because I think that will be the way that a lot of people get access to some of these um, necessary uh, healthcare elements, right? So fertility benefits and um, parental benefits and, and bereavement benefits that a lot of that will be picked up by the employer, I think, in the insurance companies. So So those are areas that we're really looking at uh, investing in right now. As you may or may not know, we've been sharing the benefits of Saffron with our community for a little while now. Growing up in a Persian family, I'd been aware of the benefits of Saffron because of its prevalence in my mother's cooking. But as we began on the journey to create our own line of Saffron-based products, I began to learn the powerful science behind the plant. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years, and now the research is backing it up, proving that just 30 milligrams of saffron per day is a natural source for enhanced emotional and physical well-being. At the fullest, we believe that incorporating ancient wisdom into our modern lives is one of the most powerful and accessible paths to healing. We also believe that everyone's journey is unique. So for our latest launch, we've created a line of saffron products in a variety of formats, to help you curate saffron in your personal daily routine. Warm Feelings is our saffron latte powder and comes in individual sachets and in larger sustainable glass jars. Made with just certified high-grade saffron, organic coconut powder, and cardamom, it's the perfect coffee alternative and feel-good start to your day. If you prefer to pop a pill, Kinder Thoughts is our 30-day supply of saffron capsules and a super simple way to support your body and mood with the power of saffron. And if you're looking to strengthen your immune system, try our Mindful Immunity Syrup. This healing blend uses saffron to reduce inflammation, but also harnesses the power of an ancient Middle Eastern berry called barberries to fight infection, along with sea buckthorn and elderberries, all in a base of manuka honey to aid in antibacterial healing. It's a true immunity powerhouse. Honestly, at the moment, I'm using each of these products on a daily basis depending on my needs. And to help you begin your own saffron journey, we're offering a discount of 15% off just for our podcast listeners with code THEFULLESTPODCAST at checkout. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. 
And um, the other thing I was going to say, just like it's easy to start an online shop now. I mean, not easy, but obviously just more accessible for people. The other thing I've noticed is so many of these bigger brands like these, you know, department stores like Saks or um, different online, big online brands or brands that have had stores and are now moving strictly online. I, I mean, I've noticed that I was just talking to someone that apparently like Anthropology and all these, um, you know, brands that you would typically in the past have gone into their stores are focusing obviously more online. And so with that, they're expanding dropship. And so it's easier to get onto the and get shelf space in a way because it's less investment for them. Um, it's great for small brands as well. But I'm curious with that happening, what are funds and specifically interested in i mean you've kind of answered this multiple times but what are funds most interested in when it comes to seeding the money if a brand is already has that shelf space in these stores and i think it's becoming harder and harder to be seen when there's so many products right yeah yeah i think a couple of different things i'll answer that you know, there are different funds who focus on different strategies. And so some some funds, and it's really important as a founder before you go out for investment to know how, what the fund size is, what their stage appetite is, you know, um, do they do investments in consumer products or is it just technology? Is it a brand focused fund? You know, all of these questions before even um, diving in. I think are really important to understand because there's just everybody has different strategies. I think the way to think about it in terms of if you have a product and you're you have good numbers, you know how much it costs to acquire a customer, you know how much, you know, at the average order value is going to be for that customer, you know if they're a repeat buyer, you have a really good handle on your economics, then you can say, well, if I if I raise money to put X amount of money into this, I know what's going to result on the other side of it, right? What's going to come out of it. And so that's just an investment mindset where you're saying, okay, um, I think I can increase my revenue if I increase my marketing spend and I know my unit economics work at that level. Um, so that's where you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to actually find the investors who understand that and then show them my numbers and see if that's what it's compelling to them. Where you get, you know, these big funds investing in these big companies that have the reason why you say technology is because that's a lever, that's a lever, right? You can invest in technology um, and increase your scale without increasing your cost at, at a much higher margin. So that's where, you know, the technology really starts to amplify scale. And that's where some of the big investment firms that you hear about investing in these big mega rounds, um, that's what they're looking for. And speaking of going away from, I mean, technology is obviously part of it, but what do you think about when a company comes and wants to open stores now in today's market? Because so many people are closing stores. And I know it's different when it's a service, right? Like Tia, you come in and you have a service. But is it more compelling now to take that all online? Um, like Parsley Health, for example, I've spoken to Robin before multiple times. And luckily, they were, had been focusing on their online platform and helping people beyond just their stores um, for a while. And luckily they launched basically when COVID hit. 
and it was amazing for their company. Um, but do you think that continuing in today's market to expand and offer services in person is still something that people want and investors want to see? It just definitely depends on the uh, the size of the business and what what life cycle they're in, and you know what the cost of capital is. So it's very you know very cost intensive high, um, to open up physical locations. But if you can do it in a cost effective way and you're understanding more about your customer, then it can be really helpful. So an example, we have an investment in a company called TBD Health, and they are an at home STD STD screening uh, test, and you know that's. STDs are the number one preventable cause of infertility. They disproportionately affect women. There's all types of health um, health repercussions if you if that goes untreated or undiagnosed. Like if if I had my way, every single person would have access to STD testing um, just in perpetuity for free. Like I think it's so important for for women's health and in general. But now they they did a pop up and they've been able to have people come in and in person and they see what their customer needs. They see what other tests they might be able to sell in addition. Uh, they can give care afterwards. What happens if you get a, you know, when you get a positive, so then there's a care model after. So what I've really enjoyed seeing this in-person model is their their customer data, right? They, they see what then they can expand digitally and online and what people can do at home versus um, in a pop-up location. Um, on the flip side, like, I think that there are some companies like Electra Health, for example, is a community for um, women who are aging. You know, they're they're all online. They've really exploded during COVID to be able to have these peer-based communities, really listening to what their customers need, and then being able to deliver products that way. And so, you know, you see you see both thriving, and they're different you know different times that you need to have. I think in person and, and over over technology. Yeah, that makes sense. And but early on though, um, because like you said, it's so capital intensive, um, it makes you know, it would make more sense if you're looking for funding, would it make more sense to if you were going to a fund to focus on not in person? I mean that I've done, even pop ups, right? I mean you have the labor that you need to manage, the rent, the you know, even just like building out the space for a short period of time, not long term. It's really, um, like you said, capital intensive. So, yeah, yeah, you have to make sure that the that the you know that it it makes sense financially. I think it. I put it under a marketing expense, right? And so if exactly. you're going to be expanding yeah. into physical in physical locations, you, you better be doing very well, you know, in your sales to be able to expand to retail locations. Yeah, like. In Venice, or I'm sure, you know, so many places in New York, it's like you walk down Abbot Kinney here and you just know that it's all a marketing expense for these brands because, you know, the rent is insane. But it makes sense because then um, people have that touch point. People are connecting with someone who represents your brand. And so it's all interesting stuff to think about. But more and more these days, it's, it's crazy, the cost of having in person. But... Basically, what I want to get to now is we've talked a lot about what funds are looking for in brands and what you guys are specifically looking for. But if someone's ready and looking for funding, how do you recommend they begin the process and what should founders and entrepreneurs look for in a fund? 
Um, great question. So if your business is working, you you have an insight. There's different stages of funding, right? So traditionally, you'll you'll have that core group of people who believe in what you're doing. And if you need to raise outside capital, you'll start gathering from what people call friends and family or angel investors who care about the space that you're in and who understand why you have a certain edge to be able to build in that space over, you know, all the other hundreds or thousands of people who are building companies in a similar space because everybody, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's always there, but I do think that they're, they're natural um, edges that you do see, or you have, you know, a community that you've built and you have a um, content company or a podcast, or, you know, you can reach all these customers. So you have something that actually does stand out there. And so then you start, um, looking for angel investment in that way. And there are so many now resources to be able to think through what type of financing instruments work the best for that. Then once you have um, strong traction and you start to look at your numbers, there are some benchmarks that now the industry is looking at that if you're in product, you know, if you have a product, what, how many, you know, what's your revenue look like and what's your cost of cost of goods and, you know, what's your, what are your unit of economics and, and how is the business working? And when you get to a certain scale, then there are investors that you'll go to and say, you know, now I'm looking for a seed round funding. And there are other ways too. You know, we had Loopy did an incredible job um, on a crowdfunding platform. They, they wanted some of their ambassadors to be able to own parts of their part of their company. So they raised significant amount of capital on republic.com. Um, and that was less for funding and more for making sure that they have the buy-in from all the people who love their brand. And their, those people could actually own a piece of the company. So when they do really well, you're, you know, you're really invested in the company that you're touting. So there are all different ways. There's also iFundWomen, which is a great platform to be able to raise money if you don't need to do venture financing, but you want to bring money in. And then there are just now no shortage of funds that are excited about these different areas of health and wellness, of um, clean beauty, you know, but I would say just make sure that you have a very strong idea of what your edge is and why you're different than than the competition and why your company is going to grow, you know, year over year, the same growth. And would you say that typically, though, if someone, because we have a lot of women who are listening in, maybe moms that are listening in that might have an idea, but typically when you go for VC money, you know, you kind of need something to show, right? Or do you guys ever invest in just an idea? We definitely invest in an idea, but usually it's also, um, you know, we've known that founder for a long time and they've had a track record in building in um, companies before or building in uh, a venture back company before. And that's generally what you'll find. It's hard to get venture investing for a first time founder in an unproven space, uh, you know, in the beginning. And that's just because, because you have to have something to go off of, right? When there's no company yet, you have to have something that you're, that you're making that logical leap that that person's going to be able to build a huge business. Yeah, totally. And um, another thing I wanted to talk about is how you, or what type of fundraising you do um, when you go for VC funding, like the different ways that you can raise money. For example, um, are you seeing a lot of safes at the early stage funding or like what are funds more comfortable with? I know safes are better for founders. Um, what do you guys like? 
Yeah, I, I, I think a founder has to really do their research as to the size of the fund and the size of the fund will dictate what the fund strategy is a lot of times, or you'll ask a question from an investor to like, uh, do you lead a deal? Does that that means that they are the ones who are going to set the terms for the founders. Some funds lead, some funds do not lead. Uh, some funds just do a, a follow-on check once there's also once a fund is already um, priced, you know, priced around. Whether or not to use a safe, and a safe is just uh, another way of of bringing in financing. It's actually a way that you don't have to value your company yet because you don't know what the value is yet. And it's basically a, um, a promissory note to be able to convert at equity at a different time, you know, when, when, you, um, when you do have a priced financing round. So um, that sometimes works when you're really early and you don't know yet the valuation of your company and you don't want to put that value on. You know, I encourage people to, to get to a true valuation as much as fast as you can because um, it's important to know where you stand and and uh, have those you know benchmarks and metrics to be able to to grow towards. And yeah, I think that I mean I'm not sure if there's anything else I can say about that. It just depends what stage you're at and and um, what type of investors you want to bring in. Okay, yeah, got it. And then do you see that that's how people are? That's really the strategy or the trend that you've seen in early stage funding. Yes, definitely. I mean the you know there's this. Uh, documents the Y Combinator safe when you're fundraising. It's the most founder friendly document. It's pretty standardized. And when you're raising the first capital, you want it to be as standard as possible. And especially if you're taking in angels, because they'll, they'll come in at those terms. That makes sense. And what about human ventures? I know that there's fundraising that happens when you have a fund. So Tell us a little bit about your experience with that and how often you guys go out and race. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I yes, we are. You know, when you start a fund um, or a venture studio, we're absolutely founders as well. And um, you know, we have to fundraise from investors who think that our strategy is a good strategy and will make them money, right? So I do the same thing as founders. I have my investors, and I. And I pitch where I think the world is going. And I think why, you know, I have to sell why, you know, I can pick those types of founders and those types of businesses that are going to work. And I'm a founder picker. That's what I do. And I'm a people picker. <laughs> yeah. And, and then I have to convince people that this is going to um, uh, return their money to the tune of, you know, 10x, <laughs> you know, what they put in um, between, you know, it's between four and five X for smaller stage funds is what you're what you're aiming for. And the fun cycles are, you know, every, every about three to four years, you're going out for a new fund and, um, and then you can invest and deploy that fund. And according to your strategy, then you go out and if you've done well, you can go out and raise another fund. And so it's, it's, it's no, um, no rest for the weary here. <laughs> yeah. So you go out and raise another fund for human ventures or you start another fund? Cause I know some funds are, just for a specific period of time. Yeah, most funds have a have a specific period of time, but the firm is Human Ventures, and then you can have several funds under under Human Ventures. Okay, so that we, makes you sense. know, we have two vehicles, and we're going out for our next one um, imminently. That's so exciting. Well, yeah, I love that you said that that you're a founder picker because, especially with early stage 
um, funding. It's really what I've heard is you're really investing in the founder. And like you said, does the founder understand the economics of what they're doing? Are they showing the traits that it needs in order to grow and be consistent and, and stick to those benchmarks as best as they can? And I think that it's definitely, you know, like you said, something that you you're in it for the long haul. It's not an overnight thing, but <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll comment on our, our mutual friend, Carolyn Witte, uh, you know, when she first started uh, Tia and it was really a technology platform and it was a chat chat platform to be able to have young women, you know, text about issues that they might not want to ask their mom, right? Tia's aunt, right? So it was, it was such a compelling kind of premise and she was an incredible um, product mind that we were looking at that at that time. Now she overwhelmingly saw what her customers needed and it was so much more than that. It was also, you know, everything else and every other healthcare opportunity for women. And it was just, there's a lack of um, access and information around that. And so she just kept on expanding with the market. And now you look at that, the market for women's healthcare, you know, the holistic from, you know, from your first menstrual cycle all the way to menopause and beyond, and that how big that opportunity actually is. And so that's an example of you can bet on the founder, you think that they're somebody who's really smart in that space, and they have insight, and they can act on that insight. But you also know, it's a massive room for opportunity for that thing to grow if that founder can capture that opportunity. And so you're assessing at those earliest stages, you know, can that founder understand how big the potential is? And can they continue, continue to capitalize on that opportunity as they grow? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and that kind of goes into the next and last question. But basically, there's definitely a link between the market and our social and cultural values. And like you said, I mean, that's typical, that's, exactly what we've been talking about with the women's healthcare space, but what shifts are you excited to see happen, not just in BC, but in the world over the next five to 10 years? Oh gosh, I'm so, I'm so optimistic about where the world is heading. People think it's really dire, but I think that things are only getting more conscious. And so, um, you know, things, things that we've seen in the mental health space where it used to be completely taboo to think about getting therapy and now it's becoming completely mainstream, not even, you know, a nice to have, but a need to have. And um, a Gen Z coming in, you know, with their ideals and with their kind of insistence on transparency and that very value driven uh, generation. I think we're seeing companies be held accountable for social issues, for um, environmental issues and, and also to take care of their people, right? So I'm very bullish and excited about macro trends of um, what we call the human needs economy and how um, integrating, you know, the, the kind of the death of the connection that's just happened, you know, accelerated by COVID. But over the last 10 years, we've really seen technology strip, strip out a lot of that human connection. And so I'm excited to see those trends having it come back. Um, I'm very excited as I think we've, we've touched many times on women's healthcare. I think it's just the beginning stages of people understanding like the stats are staggering, you know, that um, still you know, the high percentage of pregnancies that end in miscarriage and it's not talked about. And how can we help with the care after what the post, you know, postpartum care is infertility rates are really high. And it's not just because of women. It's also because of men. So there's just every stat that comes out, you, you see that there's an entire company potential to help address that problem. Uh, and I think it can only get better from here. Yeah, I, I've, 
I know so many women, unfortunately, but like you said, it's, it's becoming the norm. It needs to be part of our conversation. We need to address care for um, these different issues, but I know so many that have had a miscarriage recently and they've gone on to have healthy pregnancies after, or they've already had healthy pregnancies before and it's just part of the conversation. So I'm, I'm really excited too. And I love what you said about Gen Z. And I think that when you get um, another generation coming in, it's exciting to see what they value and what they care about and how they hold the older generations accountable. So I'm excited too. Yeah. And I can't wait to see what human <laughs> ventures does next. And I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us and hopefully we can just, um, you know, continue the conversation. Thank you so much for having me really appreciate it and love, love your mission and what you stand for. I hope to be able to do some collaborations.